We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92. You can follow me at Bill Trochi. And keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Today, we are happy to welcome in Brian Driscoll from the Irish Breakdown to break down Notre Dame's offseason and uh, give fans an overview as to where the Irish stand. And uh, it's been sort of a pleasantly uneventful offseason for Notre Dame. I think uh, all of the bombshells have come from Tuscaloosa and Washington. And, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman didn't have to tweet, I am staying at Notre Dame like several of the other uh, coaches around the the nation have had to do. So, uh, yeah, Brian, welcome in and and, uh, welcome in as a as a as a visitor. You're in a you're in a road game situation, I see. I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. I'm in a little bit of a different place and I get to be a guest now. So it's always it's always fun to do that. I always enjoy it. And it's, you know, it is funny. I'm, I'm sitting back watching all this stuff and I'm like, man, I'm so glad Notre Dame's not having to deal with this. But it it did kind of quietly overshadow what has been a still a pretty busy, impactful offseason for Notre Dame. You know, they haven't had a lot of coaching changes, but the ones that they've had are important, impactful. They didn't add a lot of portal guys, but they were important and potentially impactful. And they didn't have any major losses, really, when you when you look at the coaches that they lost and then the players they lost. So it's been a it's been a good offseason. And they they're slowly creeping up the way too early top 25s right after every time. You know, there's Still some doing changes. some adjustments on his <laughs> early top 25 soon. And he may have Notre Dame climbing up a little bit. We'll right. see. Right. So it's been a it's been an interesting, entertaining offseason, that's for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, like Riley Leonard, even he was a huge get, but it was drama free. It happened right. quickly. It happened. Everyone kind of thought it would happen. It did happen. That was it. Drama free. Right. That's what you right. want from a Notre Dame perspective. Right. Same with Chris Mitchell from FIU and Bo Collins and RJ Oban. It was like, okay, vis- made one or two visits each, and then I'm going to Notre Dame. You know, Rod Hurd, you know, visits a couple places and quickly determines he's going to go to Notre Dame. So, yeah, it is th- there was that. There was that period like two weeks after the season when they fired Chancey Stuckey and a bunch of receivers jumped on the portal, and it just was like, here we go. But really since then, they dominated the bowl game, and it's just been kind of really smooth sailing ever since. And now Notre Dame, uh, the school that everybody says doesn't pay top dollar for assistant coaches, has arguably the highest-paid coordinator duo in all of college football now that Al Golden just got a giant extension this offseason as well. And, of course, they got Mike Denbrock away from LSU, so – it's uh, it, it's it, you know, on it hasn't been as active as other places, but I think there's been some statements made by Notre Dame this offseason that hey, we're serious about this. You know, we've got the new TV deal now where we got more money, we got a new apparel deal, so there's more money to spend, and we're willing to spend it to make sure Marcus Freeman has everything that he needs to go out there and compete. Well, with this defense, you you mentioned the guys coming back, some all American talent coming back, Watts, Cross, um, Kaiser, you know. So with six-year players, the mix, Morrison's back. I mean, you look at this depth chart, it's ridiculous. So in, in some ways, you're going to love this one, Brian, is is this defense next year's Michigan, the one with the veteran players that have played so long that it, and the continuity will be there, defensive coordinators there. Could this be one of those elite defenses that jumps into the top three in scoring? Well, I think Michigan's a great example, Bill, because Michigan didn't really have any, wow, that's a top 10 Aiden Hutchinson type of individual player, in my opinion. You know, maybe Mason Graham becomes that. Will Johnson will be that, but he's a sophomore, right? And so Notre Dame, I think, is going to be similar to Michigan because there are going to be a couple young guys that are you know, they're going to need one of the sophomores to step into the lineup at linebacker most likely, and there's some some depth guys coming in. But, yeah, you're talking about a team that's going to have a sixth and a fifth-year senior at defensive tackle, a sixth-year senior at strong side end, R.J. Oban coming in, a fifth-year senior at the other end position, a six-year senior linebacker. Benjamin Morrison's only a junior, but he's a, going to his third year as a starter. Xavier Watts is a fifth-year senior. Rod Hurd's a fifth-year senior. So, you know, you're going to have a sophomore or a junior starting at the other corner spot, probably a sophomore. And and then you get a six-year senior coming in to play nickel with Jordan Clark from Arizona State. So I think that's a great analogy, Bill, because Michigan, in my opinion, what made them so effective last year is it, it's, it's not that they had that Will Anderson figure or that Kool-Aid McKinstry figure in the veteran – but they were just really good everywhere and they had great depth. They could right. just throw numbers at you. And when there was an injury, they were able to overcome it because of that depth. And that's really the situation that Notre Dame has found itself in as Marcus Freeman continues to stockpile recruiting class after recruiting class. They're having portal success. You look at it and say, yeah, that defense has a chance to be really, really good. And statistically, they weren't very far behind Michigan right. anyway. 
this past season. And, um, you know, so it, it's got a chance to be special. And you bring Mike Mickens back so you don't lose your, your stud DB coach. He's now going to coach the entire secondary. Al Golden comes back for year three. So, you know, you look at Michigan, too. That that second year under Jesse Minner was better than year one in, in a lot of ways. And now you're going into year three of Al Golden. And it's uh, it, it, there, there's a, a conversation to be had that as good as they were last year on defense, they got a chance to be even better in two, right. 2024. So we're talking about defense, and I just reminded myself, I didn't ask my Trochu trivia question, so I apologize. So we're going to ask the question, then we'll revisit at the end of the show. But, of course, it's going to be Notre Dame-themed, but it's not defense, it's offense I want to know about. Are you ready? I'm ready, and I know that I'm not supposed to answer it this time. Since 2014, and possibly before that, I stopped at 2014. Notre Dame has had one first-round draft pick on the offensive side of the ball who was not an offensive lineman. Can you name it? Since when? 2014. I know the answer. One offensive player be drafted in the first round who was not an offensive lineman. So, all right, back to our Notre Dame discussion. So, looking back on last year, Brian, before the season – Okay, I thought to myself, Okay, I looked at the schedule and I thought, Okay, they got three tough games between Clemson and USC and Ohio State. I said, I'm thinking maybe one and two in those three games and I'm thinking seven and one in the other games. And I'm thinking there they could be or no, eight and one in the in the nine and the other nine games. I'm thinking there's nine and three team. They ended up being nine and three. Why did it feel disappointing when it was a nine and three? Because that's kind of what I expected. Well, because I don't think Notre Dame expected that. I certainly didn't expect that because number one, I some of the teams that they lost to, you know, yeah, Clemson's a, a good team, but Notre Dame's got better players than Clemson. And they went and played that game when Clemson was missing eight starters. You know, there just was no reason to lose that game. And then when you look at the Ohio State game, you would, if I were to tell you before the year, Notre Dame's going to play Ohio State neck to neck, neck and neck. They're going to, it's going to be back and forth. They're going to have a lead. Hostage. You're like, you know what? That's a respectable loss. But then when you watch the game play out, and Bill, you were there, you're like, mm-hmm. they missed that. They should have won that game. They outplayed Ohio State outside of like four plays and, and a couple decisions here and there. And you're just like, you missed your chance. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go get embarrassed by Louisville and you're just like, but then the counter is they blew everyone else out. I mean, no, I'll give you a you, – here's some trivia for you, Bill, that you'll like this one. Notre Dame had nine games this year where they scored over 40 points in a game. Going back to the end of World War II, <laughs> the most they've ever done is six mm. in a year. You know, so we're talking about how people were disappointed with the scoring offense. They, they scored more points in this game since any season going back to when Newt Rockney was a player was the last time they scored more points when they scored this year. And you leave yourself with a bitter taste in your mouth because it's the same old Notre Dame in a lot of ways. You beat the teams you're supposed to, except now they did it in far more impressive fashion, but you still can't win those big games. And this year, USC wasn't as good as we thought. Louisville was better. So you insert Louisville for USC, and you went 0-3 against the three best teams you played. I was 1-3. Uh, because NC State ended up being ranked pretty high, and they went on the road and smacked NC State in the second half of that game. So you went one and three, and it's just typical, you know, Notre Dame, and that's that final hurdle that Coach Freeman is 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 needing to get over. But 
to your point, this was the team that was supposed to do that. You know, you had Sam Hartman coming in. You had the talent here. You had the veteran defenders there. And when this team was on, they looked so good. Right. And that's what was so frustrating is because they would they could look that good in those games, take Ohio State down to the wire, and then just lay an egg against Duke and Louisville in back-to-back games. And that was the frustrating thing is because everybody knew that 9-3 and three wasn't as good as they should have been based on what we saw. Well, and from my end, I measure them – and you know this, I measure them against Ohio State and Michigan at all times. And that was their missed opportunity by, we say, by one yard, one drive, one screen pass, whatever you want to call it. Um, I do think, then I go back to this one, Brian. I'd love to hear your insight on this. I remember, I think it was Fortuna tweeted it or somebody tweeted it when they were, you may have been in the press conference. There was a moment where they literally told Freeman, Hey, Louisville's a night game too. And they played like four straight night games. And that does wear on a team. I don't care. They're 18 to 22 year old kids. Um, Is that a wrinkle in it that you kind of give them a little bit of benefit for the doubt for the Louisville game? Just a little one. No, because that's what Notre Dame does, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. isn't new. Notre Dame playing every road game they have at night is not a new thing. I mean, we've seen them play night games against Purdue night games against Temple. Why? Because they're Notre Dame, and when they're on the road, they're going to be on ABC or ESPN, and they're more often than not going to be a night game. We've seen them play bad Stanford teams at night. I mean, 22 years ago, when they played Stanford at home in 20, or at Stanford in 2021, Stanford was 3-8, and eight, and it was a night game. Because it's Notre Dame, right? You're going to tap into that. And so, I mean, I understand it, but you know that's going to be the case. You, you As a head coach, you have to assume, hey, guys, we're playing on the road. If we're as good as we think we're going to be at that time of the year, these are all going to be night games, and you prepare yourself for that. And that's part of the preparation, and that's part of the learning experience for Coach Freeman that he'll he'll have to learn that. But, no, you don't take a pass on it because it's one thing if they just didn't play well, but then you come back the next week at home against USC, another night game, and you just run them off the field. So the whole they were tired and it was, you know, third. So why was the fourth straight night game not worse than the third straight night game? You know, that, that, that's kind of my thing and, and and where it's like, look, they just didn't show up for that game just like they didn't show up for the Stanford game the year before. And that's something they got to get past. No benefit of the doubt then. No. This is Notre, I mean, <laughs> this is Notre Dame, right? I mean, you, you're like, like, I'll give Coach Freeman the benefit of the doubt from the standpoint of that's part of his maturation process as a head coach. He'll learn from that. And one thing that he's done, in my opinion, an exception, exceptional job of in two years is when he learns something and the hard way, you don't see it repeated again. He finds an answer. And that's, you know, like, so this year, the year before, they had some just, how did you play that bad against that team? You know, how did you lose to Marshall at home? How did you lose to Stanford? At least Marshall's an okay team, but it's a, it's still a non-power five at home. You've got to win that game. You're Notre Dame. You lose to Stanford at home. You, you, have, you, you almost lose to Navy on the road. So what do they do in 2023? Every team like that, they destroyed in 2023. So it's just part of that process. So, no – and the best part about it is, you know, once he gets through it, Marcus Freeman doesn't make excuses for it, too. There's that initial reaction of like, Ugh, another one. But you, you got to know that when you're at Notre Dame. Brian right. Kelly wouldn't have been surprised by that. He still would have used it as an excuse because that's what Brian Kelly does. But he wouldn't have been surprised by it. And that's part of the, the learning process for Marcus Freeman. You know I had to go there. <laughs> so, you uh, you know, like you said, last year's offensive numbers were weird they're record setting in some regards they looked inept kind of against Clemson and when they needed it against Ohio State only 10 points right so 14 or 14 that 14 10 they were winning 14 10 at the end of that game so 14 points against 
against Ohio State. That's not that's not going to get it done. So it's a weird year. Uh, then Jared Parker departs, and that's kind of a surprise move. Uh, it was Troy that hired him, and um, Notre Dame goes out and gets the guy who just produced a Heisman Trophy winner and one of the top offenses in the country. The uh, top well, offense in the country. The top, top offense in the country. So uh, what was the Notre Dame reaction to getting Mike Dembrock at offensive coordinator and then looking kind of, you know, we got, we saw what he could do with Jaden Daniels. What can he do with a Riley Leonard? Well, I think that's the exciting thing. The, the excitement for most Notre Dame fans that are excited about this move is not just the last two years because you could easily chalk that up to, well, he had Heisman Trophy winner. But he did this for two years with Desmond Ritter. He did this with Deshaun Kaiser back in 2015. I mean, Notre Dame's all-time record for yards per play in the modern era since World War II was set by a Mike Denbrock offense in 2015, 7.02. That was that Will Fuller offense, wink, wink, Bill Bender. Um, it was <laughs> – you had C.J. Procise at running back. I mean, it, you had that great offensive line with three first-round picks on it. And even despite losing your starting quarterback, losing your starting running back, losing your starting tight end, all by the end of game two, that team still went out and set a program record four yards per play and had the fifth best total yards per game mark since the end of world war two. So they've, we've seen this track record of him having success with mobile quarterbacks, you know, with Deshaun Kaiser, with Malik Zaire, with Desmond Ritter, now Jaden Daniels. And you look at Riley Leonard and you're thinking this is a pretty talented player as well. Very similar skill set to what Mike Dembrock wants. And so you start getting excited that, that you feel that, you know, last year you had to kind of, get Sam Hartman to adapt his game to what you're trying to do. Now you've got a quarterback coming in and it wasn't that way initially, actually when Jared Parker was the OC and Riley Leonard committed, there was going to have to be an adjustment for Riley Leonard. He leaves, you bring in Mike Denbrock and it's an offense that has a long track record of being exactly suited for what he does. Mike Denbrock's had four years with a quarterback that had 10 or more touchdowns rushing and three different quarterbacks, Deshaun Kaiser, Desmond Ritter, and Jaden Daniels all had 10-plus rushing touchdowns, and you're bringing in a quarterback that in his one healthy year as a starter had 13. And so it's a really a, a perfect match for what Mike Denbrock likes to do and, and what Riley Leonard's really good at. Is uh, the Riley Leonard philosophy, okay, two years in a row with a transfer quarterback, and you know, I, I when teams play transfer roulette, I say there is a risk that if I'm a recruit, now they do have CJ, I understand that, but if I'm a recruit, I'm like, why am I going there? You know, they're just going to get a transfer guy and then I'm going to sit for two years. I don't want to do that. Is this too risky or right play with Riley Leonard? Well, my, my, my counter to that would be name me a team outside of Georgia that hasn't had a transfer quarterback start recently. You know, I mean, so that, that mean Alabama's had transfer quarterback start, you know, Ohio state's going to have another transfer quarterback starting for them this year. They had a, a one previously in Justin Fields. I mean, so LSU won a championship with a transfer quarterback. They just won a Heisman with a transfer quarterback. I mean, that's just college football. Lincoln Riley's won, you know, gone to the playoff with transfer. I mean, actually, Lincoln Riley has uh, never had a playoff team that didn't have a transfer quarterback. Baker Mayfield was a transfer. Kyler Murray was a transfer. And Jalen Hurts was a transfer. That's just it. So, like, who's going to negatively recruit against them other than Georgia? Right. I mean, so but the other the other part of it, too, is is you also have to be honest with yourself that, yeah, there is a risk that these top kids are going to assume that. But the, the thing I'll give Notre Dame credit for in this instance, Bill, is they have somewhat been ahead of it on that. Like okay. they were honest with the kids. Hey, early on, like, listen, we're going to go out and get a fourth quarterback. 
whether it's a starter or backup determine is going to be determined by what's out there, but we're going to go get a portal quarterback and the explanation they've given to the players and, and they've given to us. And, and it's genuine is our best quarterbacks are a redshirt freshman and a true freshman and the kid that's in high school still induced night. So we need one more year to bridge that gap to give those guys the opportunity to learn and come out. And then next year when Steve Angeli is going to be a senior and Kenny Minch is going to be a junior, CJ Carr is going to be a sophomore, and then Deuce Knight's going to be a freshman. Now you're in a position where your depth chart is stacked enough to where you let those guys compete and you don't have to go to the portal ideally for that type of situation. Because they, they don't want to be doing this. And right. honestly, Bill, there was a chance they weren't going to go to the portal for a starter this offseason. But once Riley Leonard was kind of putting some feelers out, it just became too much of a no-brainer. For that one, did to, you to hear anything that Will Howard wanted to go? He did. Yeah, I'd heard that there was some interest on his end. There wasn't on Notre Dame's end. I mean, from the minute the portal opened up, they knew who they were going to get. It just was a matter of when's he going to jump in. Yep. And yep. and so no, there was never any real interest. And, and it's not that they don't like Will Howard. I mean, Will Howard's a good football player. It's just yeah. The, and and the reason it worked that way too, guys, is because they knew that Riley Leonard was probably going to jump in, just like everybody else did. They had to study him all offseason and then going into that game. And so there was conversations with the defensive staff was like, if you can get that guy, get that guy. Yeah. Because we've broken down the film. We've said this guy's a nightmare to prepare for. And that was part of it, too. You uh, Bender mentioned C.J. Carr. Did you uh, gather any intel during the bowl practices? What do you have to tell us about him? He's different. I mean, that's the thing you hear from everybody. He's different. I mean, you, and you see, we were, we were practicing and one of my, my football analysts, Vincent Dario and I were at practice and it was CJ and Kenny Minchie standing side by side. And it was Gino Gadouli and Steve Angeli side by side. And they were, you know, just going through warmups and two guys throwing, two guys throwing. And Vince looks at me and says, the ball looks a whole lot different coming this way than it does going that way. You know I mean? It's, you can just watch guys, Bill, you guys have both been doing this a long time. You watch some guys throw, and you're like, the ball just comes out different with that kid. And that's actually how Kenny Minchie and C.J. Carl. Kenny Minchie doesn't get the same attention because he wasn't the high recruit, but you just talk to different people. I mean, C.J. just kind of has that it factor. And you know what they say, can you describe it? No, I can't, but I know it when I see it. And that's just kind of what you see with C.J. I mean, he's got great arm talent. He's a kid that's a great leader. Uh, he's a humble kid, even though you know he's got the name and the prestige. He doesn't act like he comes from a famous family. And he's very talented and kids just, you know, kids, I mean, look, Notre Dame just signed the best offensive class they've had in decades. It's not a coincidence that it happened while CJ Carr was one of your early commits. It's not a coincidence. Kids want to play with him. Well, get you to weigh in on, it was news yesterday, even though it wasn't news that people had to just use the five, seven playoff model to remind everybody that Notre Dame doesn't, Hey, Brian, did you know that Notre Dame doesn't get a buy um, and can't get a buy and, has to go through four teams to get it. And I, I, Bill and I talked about it on the last show. My take, and you may not like it, I said, I remember Jack Swarbrick saying, I don't ever want to hear about the conference championship game. And my theory is a little bit, is like he got took a little bit because those conference championship games don't mean as much. That's my take. I, I still, because I, I don't, I don't agree with that necessarily. I mean, I get where your point, and somebody said, well, this is a sudden death one, and that's not. And I understand all that, but here, here's the way I look at it. And I broke this down. I was against it at first, but Vince quickly kind of walked me off the ledge. And I'll give you an example. In 2018, year Notre Dame made the playoff. If you assign everybody that year to the conferences they're in now, in the first round of the playoff that year, Notre Dame would have played West Virginia, who would have been the Big 12 champ at number 16. In the second round, 
they would have had to play UCF, who was an undefeated team, but the number eight ranked team. But they were, would have been the fourth highest ranked conference champ, right? And so when you look at, and I, I count, I kind of cheated and counted them as a group of five, just because there was no other group of five to use as an example for that season. So even though they're in the Big 12 now, whereas otherwise they would have got a bye, and then they would have played the winner of the Georgia-Penn State game, which have been Georgia. So it's not so much about championship game or first round. If Notre Dame's good enough to compete for a title and they're good enough to be a top four seed, they're going to be at home playing the number 12 team, which in a lot of cases won't even be ranked 12th in the final rankings. And then they're then they're going to have to play the team at number four who was behind them anyway. And so as opposed which doesn't to, make any sense. It's it, but it, it's seed them one through twelve, BD. I'll die on that hill. Seed them one we, through twelve. I kind of responded to you on that one yesterday. The problem with that is you still fall victim to the perception of who you what conferences you think are better. We saw this this year. We talked about it all year. How Tennessee was overranked all season, and and Pac twelve teams were underranked all season because of the perception of those leagues coming in. And that's the thing you've all victim to because so now it's like we're going to have three SEC teams ranked in the top four or yeah. three or three Big Ten teams because the perception – I think Penn State was overrated all year because of the perception of the leagues. And and so to me, I'm, I'm fine with it because it all shakes itself out because if the SEC is truly that good, then they'll prove it on the field. That's kind of my take. You don't trust the committee. You don't trust the committee. Like what, what – you well, because there, there's, no, there's no like, perfect because there's no perfect system. There's no right? perfect there's no, system. There's no computer model. But what you can do is, is you can put some safeguards in place to say, hey, we're going to give this champion an opportunity because th- there has to be some kind of reward. We, we're already doing yeah, you get a bit. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be years where the Big 12 champ is not in the top 12. That's OK. So they I mean, get an because, auto bid. So there's your yeah, reward. That's fine. I'm so good. That's with that. accounted but they, for. They, but they should still. But again, you're you're assuming that that champion's not as good as another league's second place or third place because of our perception of the leagues. And so to me, you put as many safeguards in place to to prevent against that. But again, it'll it'll work itself out. If the Big Twelve champ is as good as we think, they're going to win on a neutral field. If they're not, that SEC team that. You know, those those poor SEC teams that have to host a playoff game and make money off of it. You know, God forbid that they have to do that. It, it'll work itself out. And and like like I said, there's no perfect system. We can all agree to that. So let's create one that has as many safeguards in it as possible. And then here's another thing, too. This, this notion of, well, the Big 12 team won't earn this. If you go back to the Big 12 era, there's really only one year where the second best team in the Big 12 wasn't pretty good. I mean, the teams that would have got this in like, what, 2021, it would have been that one loss Oklahoma State team. I mean, there's been some really good football teams that, you know, Baylor had a really good football team one year where it was like, I think, a one, a two loss team, and their only two losses were to Oklahoma. Well, you don't have Oklahoma now. So there's this notion of, well, what if there's a three or four loss Big 10 team? Why are we, or Big 12 team? Why are we assuming that's going to happen? There's a greater chance based on the quality of the schedules that you're going to have two loss SEC champs or potential two loss Big 10 champs getting buys. Should we punish them because their league is tougher? Because they have more than these ACC teams run the table and go 12 0, or these 12 teams go. It's more likely going to be that, that you're going to have this undefeated Big 12 team that didn't play nearly as tough of a schedule as Georgia or Ohio State or Michigan that's going to get the bye. And you're going to have these multiple that, that if we just went one through 12, would have been ranked higher because right. they won their games. 
So to yeah. me, I think these are safeguards to put in place. I think I'll throw out both you guys, Notre Dame guys. You can say it's fine and oh, it's cool, it's great. But I'm telling you both right now, the first time you go 12 and 0 with when this new chapter, you're both going to be like, why don't we have a buy? We deserve a buy because I won't. you were. You, there will be plenty that do. But there, the oh, funny thing is, there will be, there's people will, complaining about that will, now. In that scenario, they get the first game is against the four seed, which is a team that they're going to be better than. Their like, second game is against the four Their seed. second game. Or whatever. First game yeah. will be against a group of five. Second game will be against a team they're better than. So, like, oh. which it would just, we're just do it right from the top. Go no, one like, to 12. Like, like they the were NCAA basketball tournament goes one to 68. They and every the year, bids and and then they go every year we complain about who the number one seeds are. I mean, that, that's the whole point, Bill. There's never going to be a system where we all just say, oh, oh those are the four best teams. There's always going to be somebody that's going to complain about it. But to your point, Bender, about you know Notre Dame being 12-0, again, I, there's more to it than just – first of all, Notre Dame has played in the conference championship before, and the result was their seed dropped because they lost it. You know what I mean? Because that 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 you play in a conference championship, there should be some sort of reward for the fact that you had to play that 13th data point. And and I used to push back against it because the Big Ten champ, East champ was going to dominate whoever bum team came out of the West. Well, that's not the case anymore because it could be Ohio State Michigan rematch. It could be you know Ohio State Oregon. It could be Ohio State Penn State, Michigan Penn State, Michigan Washington, Michigan USC, whatever the case may be. But as I broke it down yesterday, if you're smart and you actually study this from a Notre Dame standpoint, you want to be selfish about it. If Notre Dame were to get a bye, all right, and and this season, say they get a bye, they finish, they play USC on on November 30th, and they get a bye, they won't play again until November until December 31st, and the team that they're going to play is likely going to have played two games in that time. So that's well rested. You also lose all momentum. And so to me, you you get in a situation now where you're playing three weeks later, you play a team that's inferior. So maybe if you don't if you don't have if you are a little rusty, you have a greater chance of winning. You're gonna play an inferior team in round two. So anyone that's complaining about it from the Notre Dame standpoint, to me, isn't paying enough attention to what the matchup would have been if you got a buy. Because now you get a buy, you're gonna play that number two SEC team in round two, as opposed to playing whatever team got that buy that that shouldn't have to some people's standards. So if you're Notre Dame, it creates an easier path. Yes, there's, there's that's Agreed. more sudden death. But if you're not good enough to beat the 12 seed, then you don't. You're not good enough to have gotten a bye. I agree. You're not good enough to compete for a championship. But I still would go one to 12. Like, I don't care if Notre Dame gets an advantage or doesn't get an advantage. I, I still think it should be one to 12. But um, but I agree with you that it's not it's not going to hurt Notre Dame. It, there will be an uproar, like Bender said, but um, from some. A little school. bit, yeah. Just for people who don't totally understand. But that's why people. Like it's it's going to shine a light on uh, the number one team in the country is seated fifth. What are we doing here? So, right. um, anyway, uh, let's get to our trivia question, and we got to get uh, out of here and back to our job discussion. Though it gives us a job. It is a good February, discussion. which is exciting. Yes. So, all right. I think both of you seem to be confident in the answer. And since 2014. <laughs> Notre Dame has had one first-round draft pick on the offensive side of the ball who is not an offensive lineman. Uh, Bender, I'll give you the first crack because I, I think Driscoll already well, he, he already gave a wink. He so. already said it, so he already <laughs> said the answer, so I'll let him have that answer. I think I have the guy before him, too. Oh. Like, not before 15, it was Eifert, I think, the yeah. tight end for the Bengals. In that 13. Got hurt in the Pro Bowl, and he yeah. was a first-round. So that was my initial guess. But we'll, but Brian just went ahead and talked right through it, Brian. So you go ahead and give him the answer. 
Well, I say the answer would have been uh, two guys if not for the Fiesta Bowl injury to Jalen Smith. I think we can all agree on that one. But, yes, it was Will Fuller in 2016 after the 2015 season. So I know you knew the answer, Bender. I saw it in your face when when he answered. I got that one. Bender. Bender pulled out the trivia question answer on the last que- uh, our last show too. Very very impressive. So, well, yeah. I think I wanted Will Fuller in a Packers uniform, so I knew that yes. one. And then I <laughs> also wanted Tyler Eifert in a Packers uniform, and and so those last two skill position guys I've definitely wanted in Green Bay. I I wouldn't have given it away if uh, I didn't see your face and knew right. that you knew. No, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right. But it's well, interesting that 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 they haven't really had a lot of a lot of first round non offensive line. That's going to continue again this year with you know obviously with Joe Walt's going to go in the first round again. So, all right. Well, thanks BD for joining us today. Thank you to everyone for listening to the CFP Nation All America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon. <laughs> Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.